As we look at Hosea chapter 2 tonight, if I had to title this message, it would be Undeserving Love. Undeserving, and if we look at the love of God and how it compares to the church and the world, it truly is a love we do not deserve. So we're in Hosea chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Hosea is speaking to his children, and he says, Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sister, Ruhama, Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight, her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked, and set her as in the day that she was born. Make her as a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. And I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be children of whoredoms. For their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread, and my water, and my wool, and my flax, mine oil, and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. And we see Hosea as he is speaking to his children. The first thing he warns his children to do is to go warn your mother. Go warn her of the judgment that is to come. And in the same way that is the job that God gave to, uh, to uh, Hosea to warn the nation of Israel that judgment was coming. And in the same way, it is our job as Christians to warn the outside world that judgment is coming. We live in a very, very political correct world in which it is not okay to tell people that you're going to hell. It's not okay to warn them that things they do are ungodly. If we go out and we talk against things like uh, homosexuality and social drinking and other acceptable sins in today's society, uh, it's no longer looked up to. However, it does not change the job of the local church. We cannot wax over the, what is the, the God deems evil. Uh, we cannot wax over the, the uh, spirit infidelities that we see in our churches today. The main thing that Gomer was doing wrong is she was unfaithful. In the same way, Christians today are very unfaithful to God. And I think if we were all honest, we could all think of a point in our Christian walk, if we've been saved very long at all, that we were all unfaithful at one point in time, or at least not as faithful as we ought to have been. You see, it's very clear, if we're not faithful to God, judgment is coming. After he tells the kids to warn his mother, he tells them that, that he will reveal uh, Gomer for what she is. He'll strip her naked and she will thirst and he will put her into a state of wilderness and he will, he will put her into a dry land. It's the same thing for the Christian today spiritually. If we are not faithful to God, we cannot expect to have the joy of our salvation. We can't expect the blessings of God, the peace of mind, uh, the contentment of our souls cannot be received if we are not faithful. Yes, we have a covenant relationship, but that's a very cheap form of Christianity. Because God has promised us so much between the leather-bound pages of His Word, and through our unfaithfulness, we're missing out on so much. And that faithfulness is not just church attendance. That faithfulness is service. That faithfulness is prayer. That faithfulness is testifying. That faithfulness is living the life we're called to live. Coming to church is the easiest thing we're probably called to do. 
is in today's world, it's very easy to come into a heated air-conditioned building one, two, three times a week. Um, and of course, I'm preaching to the faithful tonight, so most of you all are faithful with your attendance. You wouldn't be here on a Sunday night. Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, the number drops in every church around the world tonight. However, we all need to be found faithful. Um, if we're not faithful, God is going to reveal us. He's going to reveal to us what we are. There is not a Christian in the world today that is unfaithful and doesn't realize it. It's not true. There are so many people I'll go and talk to and say, listen, you, you're a child of God. You need to be more faithful to God. And they'll say, I know. But yet, time and time again, we refuse to repent. We need to look at God for what God really is. He is not a God that's just looking to condemn, not a God that's looking to convict. God is a God looking to change. He goes and He saves you, He changes your heart, and He wants to help you grow in Him. And even if you are unfaithful and find yourself needing to repent, when He reveals it to you, He don't reveal it to you to make you feel bad. God reveals things to you so you change what you're doing. If God shows you you're doing something wrong, don't look at it and say, well, I guess I'm just no good. Because people do that so often. But the Bible tells us we have an advocate with the Father, which is Christ Jesus. That advocate is there so we confess our sins. He is more than willing to forgive us, and we repent and walk in a new way the next day. It's as simple as that. We are not to wallow in our own pity and our own problems, but we are to grow as God reveals us our situations. You see, He tells us, he said, I will not have mercy upon her children. These children that, uh, that, that God is talking about through Hosea is the illegitimate children Gomer has, has, uh, has created. They're not the children of Hosea. She's had them by her, uh, her other men. You see, there is illegitimate children in the church in the same way. While some are unfaithful, some are wolves in sheep's clothing. And the reason we have wolves in sheep's clothing is we create this false salvation, this false gospel that goes out in this workspace where you got to do this and got to do that. And people start checking off the list and say, well, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do drugs, I don't cuss. I guess I'm getting in. The Bible never says that nowhere. That's nowhere in the book. But people are believing that today. In the same way, you have a, a stage of easy believism going on in the world. Or people say, well, I celebrate Christmas and put up a tree and hang stockings. I must be getting in. I believe Jesus was a real person. I believe the Bible is true. I must be going to heaven. But again, the Bible doesn't bear any of that out. When the Bible speaks about believing in God, it is a faith believe. It is not just a believe of the mind, but a believe of the heart. Uh, in the Old Testament, the sign, the covenant with the Jews was the circumcision. Well, for the church today, ours is a circumcision of the heart. That God reaches down and, and by His own grace and His own will, He saves us and makes us born again. And we get our names according to the Lamb's Book of Life. We become a legitimate child of God. But the Bible warns that there is people out there amongst us that are really uh, orphans. They don't have a father. They're not being chastised. They have no relationship. They have religion. They may have been baptized, took communion, done everything under the sun. Some have been baptized 40 times. They're still lost. Never been born again. They're so focused on the church and so focused on the religious part, they miss the beautiful love story that's given to us through His Word. You see, the only way you're going to remain faithful is to be a legitimate child of God. The illegitimate, they're going to fall away every time. They have no spirit within them. 
Until you are born again, receive God's Spirit in you, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit under the day of redemption. God starts a work of you that He continues on throughout eternity. Until you receive those things, you can't be faithful. Because our flesh wants what the flesh wants. There, there is times that a, as a Christian, we, we have to war against the flesh with the Spirit of God that says, but if we don't have the Spirit of God, we've got nothing to war with. All we got is a good self-help lesson. And it goes back to that, don't drink, don't cuss, don't smoke, listen to mom and dad, I do all these things, I'm a good boy. But the Bible says that none of us are good, no, not one. You see, we've got to see ourselves what we are. We are wretched creatures in need of a holy, loving God to reach down and to supernaturally save us and to save us and to sustain us throughout eternity. It talks about, God talks about how he gives a, a, a Gomer at the Harley, how he, she has received everything. And everything she's received has come from Hosea. Everything that Israel received came from God. Everything that we received, the Bible says all good things come from above. So everything that we have, uh, we live in a world where people are so think their lives is so bad. And I blame TV and social media for most of it because they get on and they say, well, look, so-and-so's got this truck, so-and-so's got that boat, so-and-so's got that house. How come I don't have that thing? God must not love me as much as they love them. But again, it's not biblical Christianity. The Bible says we are to suffer. Uh, our Savior, our Lord, which we worship, was basically homeless for most of his ministry. He traveled place to place and stayed where people gave him a home. He was not a wealthy Savior. Uh, he was a saving servant. Uh, and, and in the guise of God, physical riches does not equal success. It e obedience equals success in the eyes of God. But Gomer, she took all the things God had given her and used it for bad things. Uh, the Israelites, everything that God gave them, they used for worship of Baal. Baal worship, B-A-A-L. Um, and the same thing in today's world. People give are given talents to serve God with, and they'll use them to make a, a good earthly fortune. They'll use them to impress people, use them to gain social status or, or, or whatever, but they never use them to serve God. Uh, we must realize that our talents that God gives us, just as He gives them to us, He can remove them as well. If we put idols in the place of God, God can remove those idols from us as well. Uh, you start staying home to watch TV instead of being in church, you know, I wouldn't be real surprised that TV went out. Um, I've said several times the reason we got so much time problem with Frontier, too many people is on the phone gossiping. So God just kills the line every so often. Um, and usually I think sometimes I'm very thankful when he does every so often. I don't like to stay out too long because of emergency purposes, but you know, every so often I kind of think he may, may, may know what's going on there. Uh, but but these, we have to make sure that God is number one. doesn't matter the situation, and we, like I said, we all the world creeps in too often. And it's my life as well. There's plenty of times that work gets way too overwhelming, and I just cannot, I have to really have to just stop and push everything aside and say, whoa, i got, I got to readjust here a little bit. Um, because it's really easy to get covered up with different things. Uh, household responsibilities, family responsibilities, work responsibilities. Uh, sometimes just you know good things that you do that aren't God things we do. However, we have to realize that God has to take number one. Um, there's plenty of nights I'm enjoying a good car race, enjoying a good ball game or whatever, and got to hit, hit the button, turn it off, and, and make time for God. Because uh, I know I'm starting to get tired, and I say, well, if I had to wait till then, I'm going to say, well, I'm just too sleepy. I'll wait till the next night. And every night you push it off, it gets a little bit easier to push it off. And also, next thing you know, that Bible's real dusty. And you haven't been on your knees enough, you've not been praying enough, and you're starting to feel yourself getting distant away from God. 
and you're spiritually cheating is what you're doing. And a lot of times we don't want to acknowledge it. Well, we don't have, you say, well, I, God's my God. I love the Lord. However, when we live our lives, our lives are not showing that. We're taking all these blessings and using them to draw us away from God. Yes, God may bless you with the four-wheeler. However, if you're on it on a Sunday instead of in a church, you're not using. You're making an idol out of it. Uh, we can make idols out of anything in the world if it comes between us and God. So be very careful. Do you know the Israelites? They worship Baal. We worship Baal. There is just whatever is your thing. We see worship. Uh, if you ever want to know, uh, have priorities come to church on a Super Bowl Sunday night. Uh, we don't have many football fans here, so you don't see it as often here in our church. However, I've been to a lot of churches, Super Bowl Sunday. Man, I tell you what, you couldn't pay people to sit in the pew because they're so busy at home watching that ball game. Um, while and, you know, I, I want to watch the race every Sunday. What I do, hit that record button. I DVR it. And I go home, I'll watch a little bit of it, and I'll probably watch it all throughout the week before I ever get to the end of it. And no one don't tell me who won. Uh, however, I'm not going to allow that to come before God. God must take priority. I cannot let His blessings uh, steal His glory. You see, if you do that in verse 6, he tells you what will happen. He's going to stop you. God's going to shut you down. He says, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall. He, he told Gomer that he is going to stop her from enjoying the physical blessings of this world. He's going to make her miserable. This is the conviction we talk about so often. You cannot be a child of God involved in sin and not be convicted. That's a foreign topic in the Bible. does not exist. Now, sometimes people are, um, are uneducated. Uh, you see like we, we, a lot of the scriptures that Paul wrote, like the, the city of Corinthians, they were involved in some horrible things. However, they didn't have the book. They didn't have... Uh, there was a brand new church established. Uh, they didn't have the preaching of the Word. Listen, when you are told something is wrong and there is not a Holy Spirit conviction upon you that you're doing wrong, there is a spiritual problem there. And God tells us in there that we need to spiritually examine ourselves to make sure we're in the faith. There's only one surefire way to know that you're saved. And it's got nothing to do with what you've done. It's got to do with one simple fact. Are you in Christ? If you're not in Christ, then you were never saved. If you are in Christ, you're a child of God. There is no in-between. And if you're a child of God and you are in sin, He will stop your enjoyment. David called out, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Time and time again we see the prodigal son who went out into the world, enjoyed worldly living. He realized it was horrible. What did he do? Ran back to the Father. Chastisement, conviction, movement. A Christian that is spiritually unfaithful to God, God will bring down to a point of repentance. We see here as it has in verse 7, as before it gets into the section about Israel. He tells us, I will go return to my first husband, for then it was it better with me than now. Let me tell you something. If you are in the world and you are spiritually uh, being unfaithful, you're going to come to a point, God's going to make you realize that you were much better off before you got in the mess that you're in. And you will want things to be back the way they once were. There was a time, one point in time, for about two weeks that I laid out of church. And it was my famous, I guess my two-week backslidden, that, I, that, I, that it was just a weird moment in my life. And I'm not proud of it, but it happened. So I use it for God's glory. That I got, I don't remember what I was mad about, but I was mad about something. It wasn't even involving someone I went to church with. It was involving a Christian, I think, at some wherever. I don't know how we got acquainted. Uh, but something happened. I was upset, and I said, you know what, I just ain't going to go. I said, I'm just done with it. Everybody else quits and I ain't going to go. I ain't going to go. And I didn't go for about, about a week and a half and suddenly I got real, 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 real miserable. 
And I, I, never got, I couldn't figure out what it was. I was hateful as all get out, more, even more hateful than I typically am. And I could be hateful in everyday life, but I was real hateful then because I was just miserably upset about everything. And I finally come to realize it was God trying to shake me up and show me that I was doing wrong. That it didn't matter what anyone else was doing. It didn't matter how upset I was that God was more important than a little bit of fleshly displeasure. And that's what I was experiencing. I, I was allowing the devil to use one moment in my life that looking back now, I don't really remember what it was. That's how insignificant it was. And he was using that to make me think that I should stay home and stay out of church and stay away from God. And that's when God got a hold of me and he, he let me realize real quick it was better for me to go back to the Father. It was better for me, and he was more than willing, he was patient and long-suffering to receive me back faithfully and to put a ring on my finger and can kill the fatty calf, just like the, the uh, father and the prodigal sons. He was welcoming me back. It wasn't a bullying, mean God just looking to, to slam me down with lightning and thunder. It was a loving, graceful God that was patient and long-suffering towards me. See, after verse 7, we get into verse 8, and we're talking about the nation of Israel here. We see a sudden switch in the Scripture. And we're seeing how Gomer is, is the nation of Israel. It's a stopping figure. While Gomer was a real person, she was really unfaithful. God is using her to teach a lesson. Verse 8 says, For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. God provided for Israel for his love. They gave it to a false god. It says, Therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof, and my wine in the season thereof, and will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. God says He's going to make her land infertile. And we see in Leviticus 26, if you want to look back and study some this week, God tells us that if we are faithful, He will, he will bless us. Now, that don't mean everyone who's a Christian is going to be rich, but it means He takes care of us. He provides for us. He give us, gives us the things we are in need of. In the same way, he tells us that if we are living in sin, we are unrepentant, we are doing things we're not supposed to, and living unfaithful, we are not going to receive that blessing, just like the nation of Israel. And says, And now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and none shall deliver her out of mine hand. I will also ca I will cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, and her Sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts. You see, Originally, the nation of Israel had these holidays that was made to celebrate God. And they were faithful, they were God-ordained, they were established by Him. But what happens, they begin to creep in worldliness. Uh, that's why even though things are of God, we have to be very careful how we uh, orchestrate them. Uh, we can have, you can have plenty of things of God that we use for worldly purpose. Um, you, you look at... Uh, the LGBT, LGBT community using the rainbow. You know, the rainbow was something given by God. Uh, they're taking a godly principle, mutilating it. Uh, at Christmas, there ain't nothing wrong with doing the Santa Claus thing, if that's your thing, or, or, or whatever. Um, elf on a shelf, whatever you do with your kids, that's all good and dandy. Um, but what we need to realize, though, is we need to make sure our kids, while they celebrate and they enjoy the many fun things of Christmas, that we always point the true attention to Jesus Christ. We had to keep the purpose there. Same with Easter. Easter egg hunts are good. All these things are great to do with our kids. They're fun. But we need to make sure Jesus Christ is the center point. If we allow other things to take the focus off God, just like the Israelites did, we are taking something designed for worshiping God and we're corrupting it. We're mutilating it to where the whole glorifying God is gone. There is one purpose of mankind, and that is to bring glory to God the Father. If we're not bringing glory to God, the triune God, then we are outside of our purpose, outside the will of God. We are being spiritually unfaithful. 
goes on to say, And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she hath said, These are my rewards my lovers have given me. And I will make them a force, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with her earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. You see, Israel seems pretty dire right now for the nation. Israel had done all these things, and finally at the end, they're just turned away from God. They've accepted a whole new religion, a whole new way of life. They've decked themselves out in jewelry and everything else, all to worship Baal. You cannot worship two gods. It doesn't work that way. The Bible tells us we have but one master. Your master is going to either going to be God, uh, the God, the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, or it is going to be the world, the devil. Period. There is no in-between. Uh, you cannot mix religion. You can't worship Allah and worship Jesus Christ. You cannot worship Buddha and worship Jesus Christ. You only can have one God. And we see Israel has taken that to a whole new level. They've orchestrated holidays all for worshiping uh, uh, Baal and Balaam and, and all these things. And God has had all he can take of Israel. Now, logic says that God's just going to wipe them off the face of the earth. That's what we would do. If we were in God's position as humans in the flesh and we had been done this wrong, a group that has been saving them, they've been brought out of Egypt, they've been given all these things from God, and yet they are completely out of the will of God. Turn from God, unfaithful, belligerently cheating. Let's look to verse 14. We see God's response. It says, Therefore behold... I, this is God, will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. Now that's something. That right there, that one verse has got enough grace in it to live off of for a thousand years, I believe. We've read about Israel and how awful they've been. And we've already, you know, we, we can agree that God would be completely justified and just psh, fire brimstone, wipe them out. But what's God going to do? He's going to woo them. He's going to romance them. He's going to speak to them softly, comfortably. He's going to allure them back to Him. Israel is not coming back to God because Israel knows it's right. Israel is coming back to God because God is calling Israel back to Him. He is drawing them back in. In the same way, us, when we are in the flesh, when we are wretched creatures, when we are no good, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As we are called by the Spirit of God. The only reason we love God is because God first loved us. The only reason we go to God is because God first called us. We know one is out looking for God. It does. That's not a real thing. The Bible bears that out. We never come looking for God. If we are looking for God, it's because God has already wooed us and lured us to Him. To think that God would take a nation like Israel or a wretched sinner like us and go out of His way to lure us to Him, to have a relationship, an intimacy, a closeness to Him, is just unbelievable. To think God would take a Christian who has been unfaithful and lure that Christian back into a right standing and an intimacy with him just because he loves them is unbelievable. Uh, I don't know how you couldn't fall in love with a God like that that we have. Um, I can think of times in my life, so many times, when I don't know why God just didn't do away with me and not have any relationship with me at all because I was just such a failure. But yet God still... Lord me. He still wooed me. He still brought me back out of His love and His mercy, His patient and long-suffering nature to draw me back to intimacy with Him. 
Bible goes on to say, I will give her her vineyards from thence in the valley of Accor, for a door of hope, and she shall sing there as the days of her youth, and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be that at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi, and shalt call me no more Bali. You see, not only is God the Lord luring them Israel back, but as the Lord lures Israel back, He's giving them everything back. He's not only giving them a relationship, He's giving them the vineyards back. He's giving them the graves back. He's giving them back all the things that they enjoyed all these years that they wasted back. They're starting over. When you're saved and born again, you're starting over. The old man is dead. You're a new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. And when the same way when you're a Christian that may not be as faithful as you ought to be and you reconcile back to God in intimacy, you're starting new. You don't lay in the sin. So many people come to an altar of prayer somewhere and they get lay down whatever burden, whatever sin they're battling, lay it down to God and say, Lord, I am sorry, I'm repenting, I'm moving on over this. And what do they do? They live in the guilt. Listen, God doesn't operate that way. The Bible says our sins are washed as far as east is from the west. Now, east and west never touches. Doesn't happen. East goes east, west goes west. That being said means they are never to be brought back against us. Our judgment took place on the cross of Calvary. It didn't take place uh, uh, in our sinful state because we would be constantly just being thrown down if that was the situation. Our God is a God of grace. And And while we're in this dispensation of grace, we ought to enjoy that grace. It is a blessing for us that our God is not looking to condemn us and cast us into hell. Our God is looking to redeem us and set us free. He's looking to give us a new way of life and to bless us. He wants us to live an abundant life. That's why He gives us the do and do not so we can live that abundant life. That doesn't mean a life of necessarily material riches, but it just means to enjoy life. I have never been rich or wealthy. I may never be, and that's okay. But I really enjoy the life I live. I really enjoy what God has given me. Uh, My little old white car is not much to look at. It's about five different colors if you look real close to it. However, I enjoy going down the road with the window down on a beautiful day like this. The Lord just blesses me, and I enjoy it. It may seem silly to a lot of people, but God has just given me the ability to enjoy those sort of things. I look at them as all blessings from God. So when God gives you forgiveness, God gives you mercy, listen, and accept that mercy. Accept that forgiveness. The prodigal son didn't tell his father, no, I don't want that calf. You keep that ring. I don't want none of that. He accepted that blessing. He accepted that gift of God. It says, For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. He is giving them the chance to repent. He is drawing to repent. We are created unto good works, the Bible says. In the same way, when we, when we go to God and say, Lord, I have a sin I'm battling, He gives us the opportunity and the ability to repent. We say way too often that we're just sinners. While it's true, sometimes we use that as a cop, as a crutch. Well, I can't help it. I'm just a sinner. We can very well help a lot of things if we're just willing to give it to God. Not because we're, we're so able in the body to do anything, but the Lord is willing in the Spirit to do a, do a lot of marvelous works through us. Uh, we talk often about the potter and the clay. We are the clay. Our Father is the potter. He's molding us. But a lot of times we, we are throwing ourselves off the potter's wheel and trying to re-break ourselves. Listen, allow God to give you repentance. Allow God to help you repent. Uh, When a fisherman catches a fish after it's caught, he cleans that fish. 
or once the Lord has caught you, you are in His vessel, He is going to clean you if you're just willing vessel to be obedient to Him. He says, And in that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven, with the creeping things of the ground. I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and make them to lie down safely. God's going to give them peace. He tells the nation of Israel. Israel's been in war. If you go throughout the Bible, all through the Old Testament, Israel's fighting somebody. All the way back to Cain and Abel when Cain and Abel was fighting each other. There is death, bloodshed, and destruction all throughout the Old Testament. When they first made the Bible series, it came on TV a few years back, and it's still on um, a couple different video formats and things. Uh, I couldn't watch it at night. It was so violent, so bloody. So I'd have nightmares because of the, the amount of violence and bloodshed in it. And the Old Testament very much is so. It's full of violence and bloodshed. But God said, told Israel, said, if you'll just be obedient, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to eliminate war in your, in your nation. I'm going to give you a, a, a sense of unity that you didn't have before. It's the same thing for our lives. Our lives are in turmoil. We're worried about money. We're worried about our health. We're worried about you know what's going to happen in the world. I mean, you can look, look on the news. They're getting ready to nuke each other every single day. But if you are saved and being obedient to God the Father, He will give you a sense of peace that goes beyond all understanding. I hope I live a hundred more years. However, if something happens and I have to leave, I know that I, my place is sealed in heaven. He's already prepared a place for me. That I will go where He is. That is, If that's the will of God, it's the will of God. If, this, if the Lord comes back, a lot of people get all twerp. We said in our, our lesson this morning about the end of the world. I'm not worried about it. My world will never end. I have a new heaven, a new earth that is awaiting me. All that's promised through God's beautiful word that He's given me. I don't have to struggle, stress, and, and worry about these things because God will provide. So I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in lovingness and in kindness and mercy. I'll even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness. And thou shalt know the Lord. This is the Lord's marriage vows to Israel. It's the same marriage vows we get. As he is the bride and we are the bridegroom, he has promised us all the things he promised Israel here as we are grafted in with the nation of Israel through Jesus Christ and our faith. He gives us righteousness. Christ's righteousness is given to me. Christ took my sins, took my iniquity, and He gave me His righteousness when I accepted Him as Savior. He has given me justice. is what the word judgment means in the King James. In the Greek it means justice. He made me justified, just as if I never sinned in the sight of God. He showed me kindness and gave me mercies that I don't deserve. He protects me every day from the wiles of the devil and from the things of this world. And He made sure that not only do I know of God, not only do I have a heard of God, that I know God. And I will know Him as verse 19 says there forever, eternally. Eternally I have these things. It is not a temporary time here in life. Eternally I will be righteous. Eternally I will be justified. Eternally He will show me His mercy. And in eternity He will always be faithful to me. Even when I am unfaithful. You see, that's really what the theme here is of the whole Scripture in chapter 2. While Israel is being unfaithful, God remains faithful. While we as Christians may find ourselves unfaithful sometimes, God is unchanged. And he remains faithful. 
tells us, he said, And I shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, say, Lord, I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth. And the earth shall hear the corn, and the wine, and the oil. And they shall hear Jezreel. And I will sow unto her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people. And they shall say, Thou art my God. Church, that's us as Gentiles here. We were unfaithful. We were not of God. We were rebels against God when the Lord found us. We were sinners in need of a Savior. We had nothing to offer God. There is nothing we can bargain. We just going to go to the Lord empty-handed. That's all we have. Uh, we are most righteous works. We're filthy rags. We, we could do every religion under the sun, but we were still guilty. But the Bible says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because the Lord saw fit by His own great will and divine power to reach down and save us wretched sinners, although we were not His people, although we were Gentiles, we were dogs in the eyes of the nation of Israel, we were completely set apart. God made us part of His kingdom. Even though we were, we were people that God had, de- had detested, we were rebels, He still saw fit to come down and to clean us and make us fit for His service. You see, it says, I will sow her, unto her, sow her unto me in the earth. We are sowed unto God. Just as we sow seeds in earth and springtime comes to plant a garden and to grow things, God, has, a seed was planted in her heart one day through the preached Word of God. And as someone delivered the Word of God, the, sow, the seed was planted, someone else watered it, God gave the increase and made us His children. Now, have we always been faithful? I guarantee you haven't. Neither have I. We so many times we have found ourselves unfaithful, just like the Israelites. But you know what God done the whole entire time? He was still faithful to us. He still loved us. He still secured us. He never left us nor forsake us. He goes with us all the way. And someday we will be in His very presence for eternity because of what He has made us. He purchased us with the unblemished Lamb of God, the blood of Christ, the only perfect blood to ever walk this earth, sinless, and was shed for you and 